This is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay, happy 2022. Happy 2022, absolutely. And boy, I am dark. Well, I mean, I'm always dark. dark, but uh, <laughs> I got to move to the uh, to the light. It the doesn't light. matter. Happy 2022, and we have a wonderful guest. Uh, he was on an episode 20. He helped us. He was one of the first uh, individuals that we interviewed, and he's back again. Robert Estes, mm. how are you? I'm great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Robert Estes of Anton's Well. So we'll get to hear about, you know, what's happening there. And uh, we'll talk a little bit. So we won't get into an origin story because we already know your origin story. Folks can check out episode 20. But um, we'll, we'll get a chance you know, we to just kind of check in with I'm sorry? what's happening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into what's happening right now. Um, I'll just uh, ask um, Norman, you know, as I begin uh, every, each podcast, especially <clears throat> how is 2022 treating you right now? Well, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm unexpectedly working. That that was wasn't the plan. I was actually once again about to apply for unemployment and heard about a teaching artist gig and went, oh, that sounds like that could be fun. And so I just started that this week um, up at Redwood High School in uh, Larkspur, and I'm working on the Crucible. I'll be working with a group of young actors on the Crucible. Arthur Miller. Yeah. So that's been the big thing this week. And then the other thing is just that we're ramping up for the uh, James Baldwin piece. We're going to do a preview in February. And so I actually have to get the rest of the cast together. I've got Reg. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that. And it's so cool that you're teaching the kids. Um, We were talking last night about Arthur Miller and the Crucible and how in the 50s you had these playwrights like Sidney Lumet and... um, Rod Serling and a bunch of other screenwriters and playwrights who are using the classics or they're using, you know, other um, like I think about uh, the Scopes Monkey Trial. I think about Inherit the Wind. Right. Talking really making a critique on the 50s and McCarthyism and what's happening in America. Right. But not being explicit, not talking directly to it, but using like the Crucible, Mm -hmm. like, you know, what's happening, what happened uh, during the um, the Salem Witch Trials. Right. So no, it's been it. gorgeous. It'll be gorgeous for the actors because there's so many characters who seem to have a specific point of view and then it just keeps shifting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Were you I mean, Robert, do you, uh, are you a because um, I know I, I'm sure you love the classics. I mean, did you ever get into like um, Sidney Lumet and uh, and uh, Arthur Miller, that tor- that sort of type of playwriting? I mean, plays. I mean, I did in my pre my life is in theater is divine to be i didn't get into theater till i was 43 so i always think of things like pre before getting to theater after and interestingly i was into arthur miller as an audience member sure and then but since i've been in theater i've never done an arthur miller play not mm-hmm. for any specific dislike or anything like that just you know finding a direction but um <clears throat> i uh there was an arthur miller play called incident at vichy yeah, and Eric Frasher Hayes, when he was at Role Players Ensemble, rest in peace, that organization. <laughs> they did it, and it was like the Bay Area premiere of that play, and they did a spectacular job. So that's kind of one of my top ten productions I've seen in the Bay Area in, oh, nice. in a great amount of time. So yeah, Arthur Miller, 
he, there's also one of his called the memory of two Mondays and it's a one act. And I always thought that might be a possibility to do, huh. you know, just going a little bit deeper into his playbook. Sure. Yeah. No, I've, I've never even heard of that one. That one's cool. Yeah, no, he had a very, very rich, um, <clears throat> uh, theater, um, <clears throat> just, just a rich collection of plays yeah. and, uh, interesting commentary. And, you know, those were very interesting times. There are great parallels, unfortunately, between, those times, you know, the McCarthyism period and what's happening right now. Um, there are a couple of uh, current events. Well, really, COVID-19 has sort of taken over. I mean, I feel so bad for Jeffrey Lowe and a bunch of others. Uh, he was supposed to do, uh, he had a play. Uh, I know that we, the Bahayan Boys, I think it was called, and that oh. was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots of uh, other uh, plays that have been canceled. I imagine, um, Robert, has Anton's Well, is, is there a season for 2022? No, I mean, honestly, because we're such a small organization and my big, my great producing pal, Rick Razo, he's not been healthy. So it's just, I, every time I've thought of like trying to do something, I hate to say it almost, this sounds weird, but luckily I didn't plan to do something because every time it would have been crushed, you know, right. as it turns out. Um, I thought of doing something in October and maybe we could have got done with something October, but then Delta came up and it was terrible. And then I thought about doing something in February and now we have this whole wave coming up. So um, we just, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're about the smallest theater company in the Bay Area. So it's really difficult to try to do something in these times right now. Yeah. And, you know, you obviously you're not the only one. There are lots of companies that are struggling, uh, although it's curious and we'll talk about it later that there are some companies that are still forging on either because they have, you know, a COVID protocol uh, or, you know, they have a, a relationship with, um, I don't know, whoever owns the building that they can do it. Sometimes you don't have that. So even if you have your protocol, building managers may say, you know, forget about that. I'm not doing it. I don't mm-hmm. care, you know, what you have set up. Um, but also, I mean, it's happening in uh, like I read in the newspapers, Walgreens and CVS stores, they're closing up a bunch of uh, stores because they just don't have enough staffers. There are staffers who are like, hey, listen, I don't care what you want. I've got to protect my own health. Well, there have been a, wa- a large wave of people who are just quitting their jobs. Right. They don't want to come in either because of COVID or because of other things. Um, but Walgreens and CVS stores, many of their clothes are closing due to COVID-19. So that's a big thing. And that's really hit in the Bay Area as well. I mean, not only have there been lots of mass organized thefts that's been going on, but with COVID, just going to a CVS store to, you know, get something, you know, like a lot of times where I go from my job, I work for the DA's office and we have an office at 350 Rhode Island Street. And I'll try to stop at a CVS and I'm like, oh, it's closed. Well, where can I go? So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever had to experience that. Let's say a, a regular store has closed down and you can't go there anymore. Occasionally. Recently. Not recently. I mean, that's where I live. There's um, Farmer Joe's. Uh, they, it used to be a Lucky's and it kept it was funny. It was Albertson's, Lucky's, Albertson or the other way around. It was Lucky's, Albertson's, Lucky's went away neighborhood was in danger of going very ghetto farmer joe's comes in and brings in this high class it's an independent um business but you know sort of at the level of whole foods really good stuff um changed the nature of the, the neighborhood it was 
really nice. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I, you know, I never really figured out the how a store can shape a neighborhood or can destroy a neighborhood if if the store goes away. So yeah, uh, no, that's sad. It gets scary any- when everything is dark and the parking lot is empty and you're like, OK, what's happening? Right, right. Exactly. Also, there have been I mean, we've been away for a while, but there have been a couple of interesting um, high profile cases that have resolved uh, two women, Ghislaine Maxwell, um, oh, yes. which I'm very proud to, you know, I'm very happy that, you know, justice was done, at least, you know, with her. Because, you know, she was sort of the honeypot that brought in a lot of these women right. that Jeffrey Epstein um, uh, victimized. And also Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the Theranos woman who defrauded a bunch oh, of right, folks yeah. of billions of dollars. So that's that happened. I wanted to say it wasn't her fault. It really wasn't me. It was that bad man. That bad man made me do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's just hubris. Well, I mean, with did not work. Yeah. Well, with Elizabeth Holmes, it was pure hubris. You know, she had a great idea. And instead of, you know, working with the scientists to make it work, if it was going to work, Theranos, uh, she just couldn't, you know, she couldn't hear no for an answer and led folks on a a perilous path. Uh, And the very last thing that I have, uh, so a Texas mom, this is one of these COVID-19 crazy stories. Well, excuse me, a woman in Texas put her child in a trunk to protect the child of COVID-19. This is a 13-year-old. And the DA's office found out about it charged her and then the judge threw it out basically saying no there's no probable cause it's okay this COVID-19 there's been a culture war you know there have been folks who are like I'm not taking my shot we you and I Norman talked over the phone last night about Joe Rogan about spreading misinformation so not only do we have a biological thing going on with COVID-19 and the Delta variant and Omicron but also an information war Mm -hmm. you know like I remember you and I were talking Oh, you know, a couple of folks got Omicron, but they didn't get really sick. That's what I heard. But then, you know, you hear other stories. Like I have a friend of mine from Kyrgyzstan who was like, oh, no, someone actually died and they got the booster shot as well as being vaccinated. So a lot of his misinformation and poor Joe Biden, you know, he's trying to get people to get vaccinated and he's fighting against the Supreme Court. You and I talked about that last night as well. So, um. Robert, yeah. are you vaccinated and uh, do you have the booster shot and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got the booster six months after I got my shot because, you know, you hear that I would have got it anyway, but they went back and forth with the booster for a while because there was a moral issue for a while. Well, we should have a booster because other people don't have anything, especially around the world. Oh, sure. But, but then it became apparent with Omicron that the booster was really necessary. So I was lucky enough to get my booster and I was lucky. I'm, I'm <laughs> my little proud moment of 2020 was or 2021, excuse me, keep up with the years was um, that I actually took my mom who's 89 to all three of her appointments and she lives in Sacramento. So I was very proud. I got appointments for all three of her and I took her all three times, That's um, very cool. but you know, I mean, I just feel like, you know, in different parts of our society, that I mean, I'm sure among us, meaning thoughtful theater people, the vaccination rate is probably really high. I mean, there's gonna be an odd duck somewhere who doesn't do it. But then, you know, you hear the overall vaccination rate in the country say 70%. And I'm like, well, the people I know, I'm sure it's 95%. <laughs> in Berkeley, it's like 95% for the city of Berkeley. 
So you're yeah, like, I think there may be some folks hiding out, but they're hiding. Yeah, they're they're not, most of them are not putting it out there. They're, they're yeah, I'm sure there's some oddballs and some people don't do it. But I'm just saying, like, if 95% of the people say that I know or that are, or live in Berkeley are doing it, that means somewhere else in the country, like 45% are only doing it, right? Because right. the overall average is 20, 70%. Right. So I'm like, if you're in the part of the country where the vaccination rate is 45% and Omicron's raging, you know, everyone's going to be sick. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it's still really good to be vaccinated, but Omicron hits the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, right? Right. Um, I mean, it's much better to be vaccinated. Don't be an idiot and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But I'm just thinking like parts of the country that are 50% vaccination, it's just insane how much COVID they're going to get. Right. <clears throat> well, right. And you can predict it. You can kind yeah, of, I mean, oh, it's this all region is going to get hit. I mean, that's what we're still waiting for this crest, right? We're still, yeah. the numbers are still climbing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and even people... You know, you hear a number, it's like, where do I get my information from? You know, who's telling the truth, who isn't? You know, do we trust the CDC? Of course, I do trust the CDC and I trust Robert Fauci. And of course, poor Fauci, he goes into these, you know, Senate hearings and it's not even conversation anymore. It's like sort of shouting. Right. They just Rand Paul, yeah. you know, has a problem with him. And I think he called another senator an idiot or something like moron. that. <laughs> moron. <laughs> moron. Right. Right. Moron. Because of the what misinformation. Moron, he says under his breath, but into the mic. Right, right, exactly. So it's it's pretty sad. Um, okay, so those are the current events. Uh, we can talk about um, well, how, how is the state? I mean, you know, when I think of you, Robert, I always think of you with a smile on your face. But I imagine this has to be a bit soul crushing. I mean, as an actor, you're like, okay, well, I can't get a job, or as a writer, I'm like, well, you know, I guess it's all going to be Zoom from now on. But I imagine as a owner of a theater company you have these ideas and you want to keep the momentum going and it's hard because of, you know, of, of what's happening now, how are you taking, I guess, the, this permanent pause button that you have to hit on Anton's well? It's funny because Norman and I talked a little bit last night and we were talking about the phrase futurism, you know, what's the future bear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I thought I, I hung up and I thought, man, I'm going on this show called the yay but I'm pretty much feeling the nay, you know? <laughs> and, we have uh, to keep hope alive. Yeah. No, no, you really do. No, actually for me, it's been odd because it's hard to say things that I don't mean this anyway. I think it's wonderful people are doing Zoom and I think it's wonderful people are doing play readings on Zoom and doing everything. I'm just, I'm just not a Zoom person. I know I'm on Zoom this moment, which is always funny. I always think it's funny when people put down Facebook on Facebook. Well, I'm on Zoom, but I'm not really a Zoom person. So for me, I just found a really different focus. I've been just reading a lot, you know, and I've been reading a lot of poetry and I haven't really been reading that many plays, to be honest. I've been really into poetry. I've been really into short fiction, but I think like for me, the poetry and the short fiction is going to influence Anton's well, because I think it's things we can do once this thing is over. Uh, I think, mm -hmm. I, I think our company's always been like poetic, attract you know attracted to poetic theater language and um i've been discovering poetry one of the productions i love scott baker and his company did a show and i'll mangle the title something like you must love poetry or but it was a it was different actors and he focused in on the beat poetry and it was oh, a nice. really effective alan ginsburg really and uh production. yeah am i saying and that so, right 
Yeah, go ahead. Um, so for me, anyway, that's well, we really haven't done anything because we haven't done any Zoom, and we haven't done. I mean, like I say, half of us has been sick, and I've been dealing with a lot of family things. But I do feel that aesthetically, I've been really deeply exploring poetry and language, and I think our company will come back and and pursue that in in dramatic terms, in theatrical terms. Um, you know, the thing about the company is, and I think kind of people forgotten about this because of COVID, but before COVID, the whole AB5 thing was huge. And how do you deal with AB5? Right. And because COVID has been so devastating, people have kind of put that out of mind. And for me, it seems like there's two things about AB5. Number one, you can say to people, we are going to hire volunteer actors, volunteer designers, and we'll give you a stipend. That's that's option A. Or option B is we're going to comply with AB5 and we're going to pay you the minimum wage and with benefits and everything. And so the odd part for me is that for Anton's Well, I've always been attracted to option B. I mean, the whole purpose I started Anton's Well was not to have volunteer actors. Right. You know, because, Does that mean you also have to file 1099 forms and do all the tax stuff as well? Well, you had to file. Yeah, you had to file. Yeah, there's there's paperwork. The thing for me is I used to run a small business, so I actually know how to do all that. Mm. And I know the software program. And so in a certain way, I know I can handle it up to a certain level. But, you know, but paying minimum wage, which in Berkeley is now, I think, like $16.52 an hour or something. It's not 15 anymore, I don't even think. You know, it just is like okay, we may only do, be able to do one production a year, maybe two, rather than we're, you know, we were really productive for a while. We were doing three right. or four productions a year, multiple plays. So, you know, just that push-pull between, I don't really want to be a volunteer organization because that's not why we started it. But if we go to the, AB, you know, minimum wage model, then, you know, we're not nearly, you know, there's just bigger theaters that have bigger foundation grants and can do things. So, um, it's just, uh, I want to go with my heart and do the minimum wage, but it's daunting because, you know, I also want to do lots of productions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's got to be a distinction between the companies that really can, um, afford to pay the minimum wage or even higher than minimum wage, um, make a distinction between those and the companies that are really just starting, like let's say Anton's Well and let's say Plethos and there are other little yeah. companies that they mean well and they're doing great stuff, you know, you, uh, just the quality of the work, but you're not at the position as of yet. And I think all companies are at a position where they can't, they don't have the money for that. They don't have the grants. They don't have, you know, the angels to support them. And yeah you know, uh, AB5 should not destroy those companies. And this is something that Norman and I, we've talked about, you know, a great deal. And and as an actor, I know the difference between a company that's just starting out, and let's say I work with them, not just so because of the money, like, you know, this uh, James Baldwin thing. I don't really care about the little bit of money that I'm going to get because it's not about the money. It's about working on a project and something that's going to grow. There's a distinction between that and a company that victimizes its uh, workers and it's you know because they do have the money they just don't want to pay because they really don't care yeah or they just don't you know it's just i think some companies have the money but they just kind of, we just got used to not paying so you're like why should i pay 
I don't right. know. Not, I think they care, but it's just like, oh, we care, but we need to have a new building, or we care, but we right. want to, you know, we want to have a great advertising campaign or something. I don't know. It's right. just, yeah. But so it's, but interesting lately, though, there's been kind of like, what is it, a word, a conjunction between, I was talking about the poetry and that, and then this problem of like, how do you put on plays? And I've realized lately, like, that we may do plays that have not too many actors, but are heavily into poetry. And maybe a way to do something with small cast, great language, and pay people, and also, but stay aesthetically what we want to do at our company, which is explore language. So, yeah, we are Norm- making Norman, progress. Yeah, Norman, I had a question for you. How is how is Playground doing it? I mean, Playground seems to be forging ahead. It sounds like um, I'm sure Jim Kleinman has a a um, something he has a protocol as far as you know making sure that people are vaccinated and that sort of stuff so how is how are they doing it well and also you know the venues are going to have their requirements so we're freight and salvage because berkeley rep when they postponed their first show of the season because of dealing with the protocols they also decided it didn't make sense to have renters in because their staff usually supported anybody coming into the space if you're not comfortable having your own shows go up, why would you bring outsiders in? So Berkeley Rep said no. Freight and Savage, on the other hand, was like, well, you know, Jim assured them that we would be sticking to protocols and that there were whole, you know, that's where the union has been good in their response to this because the union requires that you make sure people are vaccinated. The union requires that you test everybody. The union requires that you keep a separation between the folks involved in the production and the audience. And so, you know, with all those things in place, the venue felt comfortable having us there. So far, it's been running pretty well. And you run into different people's level of comfort. Some people want to run up and give you a big hug. Some people throw that elbow out. It's like, no, no, right there. Mm, <laughs> you know, here's yeah. like this. That's, that's as close as we're getting. And, you know, so far, it seems to be working. On the economic side, Jim had already was already navigating all this stuff once AB5 started. And you mentioned him and I realized, oh, I should talk to him about what I can and can't do with this reading because I want to make sure I'm not getting in trouble or getting anybody else in any trouble. But, um, oh, so the James Baldwin readings, that's going to be at Petrero? Yeah. Ah, uh, awesome. No, that's no, no. It's, well, no, 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 not Petrero. <laughs> We're starting to have a conversation. We will see what's going to happen with that. No, I understand. Um, um, Peralta. House, Peralta House, Peralta House, yeah, 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 and yeah. You told me about that, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be nice if it can be at the Patrol Hill as well. But no, but, I'm just but I do want I can talk to Jim because he will be on top of what AB five requires. Yeah, and where you can work around it because you asked about like 1099s, for example. If you don't make six hundred dollars in a year, then I don't have to write a 1099. Right, exactly. <clears throat> and there are a lot of companies. I mean, I've I've had you know as a stage manager, I've had. Um, I don't want to mention the company, but, you know, they would say, well, listen, we're going to cut you a check for five ninety nine. Right. And then we'll give you a little bit extra so that we can. And I'm like, hey, that's great. You, you guys are jumping hoops to, you know, get me paid more. But you shouldn't have to do right. that. As long as the paperwork is clear. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I do wonder about like big companies like the Orpheum Theater. You know, they still have a season. I, I walked past the Orpheum Theater and it doesn't appear that anything is being shut down. I'm looking at, they're doing Hades Town. I think it's going to be on March. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, so how are they doing it? And how are they, I, I never quite understand, you know, how, how stuff like that is done. Um, 
Well, I think what Omicron I, is showing us is. Oh, go ahead, Robert. No, go ahead, Norman. I'll finish after Norman. I was I'll just going to say, with Omicron, it's become a whole new ball game because that's why these shows are closing. Is you get in the middle of a process and then you start having too many. Oh, we have to pause, or oh, this person can't come. You know, for forty-eight hours, and then they've got to get tested, and then you know that's yeah. <clears throat> It's a mess um, in terms of trying to keep a production schedule. So I don't know how people are going to navigate it. I, I, I find the whole thing, you know, early on, we had different rules. We went to lockdown, you know, in Mar Mar April of 2020. And then after that, we had the whole color coded system, like if this means, and then, mm -hmm. and then we had the thing where restaurants were like 50%, you know, 25% of capacity, 50% of capacity. Right. And now, is completely like libertarian wild wild west i mean <laughs> right anybody yeah. can do anything you know i mean theaters are closing down but then the warriors are playing before twenty thousand fans you know yep. no social distancing and like i love certain things but certain you know, like norm and i of course love the alley right and, and we i love other piano bars but some of these piano bars they're like small rooms but they're yeah. showing up and they're singing i mean and so it's just well, that's i realized i went last night and, yeah, it, but I went to the early set and there were only a handful of us scattered around the piano. Were anyone you know, checking for, did anyone check to see if you had, did you have to mask up or did they check to see if you were vaccinated? Well, um, they are being very loose about it. People are, a lot of people are masked. Um, obviously, if you have a drink in front of you, you're probably not masked. Um, but, you know, that was, that protocol from the early reopening still is kind of in place. If you're at your table, eh, nobody cares if you're masked. When you get up to move around the room, please mask up. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the musicians get to decide. So uh, the guitar player wants everybody masked. So if you're at the piano and you want to sing, you have to be masked. Yeah, <laughs> it's so a- That's been fine, but that has, there's no, like Robert said, it's not like there's, it's not like the system has, said this is what we're doing yeah everybody's sort of deciding for themselves it's an yeah. it's 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 like a massive psychological test all over the country to see you know just how yeah. we are like norman and i we you and i always talk about community and you know being good neighbors you know sometimes we talk about it in the theater perspective you know like community theater being something for the community but also just you know oakland in general you know like um us being good neighbors and, and that sort of stuff and now omicron and just this whole pandemic thing, it's really testing all of us nationwide, you know, yeah. how we good are to each other, you know, will I put on a mask on behalf of somebody else? Or will I assert my freedom? And you're right, Robert, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, it's, uh, it's, and I get the feeling that companies are sort of rolling the dice. They're like, well, let's see if we can get away with it. Because financially, we still want to bring in the money. And let's just hope nobody dies, or, you know, we don't get sued right. or anything like that. Right. I mean, severance to a playoffs, has been running full productions and huh. they finally had to cancel last weekend of 12th night and they canceled one other part of it but you know they got they put on 12th night with a big cast with music mm. and you know they had audience i saw a picture of an audience that looked like they were kind of socially distanced because they didn't have that many people so they were all like seats in between them but mm. you know they were able to put on a, a i mean it was a highly praised production you can yeah. watch it on streaming and um they made it almost through and then one of my favorite groups the maskers in point richmond they've been out of business for six years because they're building as structural problems but right. they're scheduled to open on january 21st 
And so far, they're still sticking with it. And then mm-hmm. other companies like Acting Ensemble Berkeley, which I also love, they just canceled their production, which was going to open, you know, in a few weeks. And so, you know, part of me wants to go to the Masquerade because I have a lot of sentimental uh, attachment to them. They gave me my first directing job, mm-hmm. but I'm not thrilled about being inside in a small right. theater. So yeah. And I, I imagine, you know, you, I mean, I, I would be upset if I were an owner of a theater company and I make a, uh, a moral decision to shut down because I want to protect the audience and whatever. And then I see another theater company, they're just rolling and, you know, they're having, you know, an audience and all that sort of stuff. And it was like, well, I, I felt that back in March of 2020 because it was a Tuesday and I said, okay, I have to figure this out. And I looked down, I did research not do your research. I'm not saying I was a scientist. I hate that, you know, but I look, I mean, so I gained, you know, I gained information. And back then it became obvious. I mean, when you read, it was like, you know what, if you stay open, you're not just like, it's not just, okay, we stayed open an extra day. No, you've just increased the chances five times of this thing spreading because back then it was very much like we, you know, we learn as we go, but back then a small difference could create a huge difference in, in infection in fact that was shown because back then san francisco closed down early and los angeles county stayed open and los angeles county suffered terribly because they stayed open while san francisco closed down a huge difference in infection rate so yeah back in march of that tuesday maybe the 13th or whatever it was i decided to close down our shows you know in another theater company that's super progressive and super awesome and super telling everyone else what they should do and i'm not going to name them they (laughs) stayed open and yeah it pissed me off yeah, no, and that's a normal, that's a very, very healthy, normal uh, reaction to have, especially when you have a built audience. I mean, when you first came on the Yay, uh, episode 20, I forget what production you were doing. Um, I was trying to listen to the uh, podcast, but, you know, since then you've done um, the um, the ear. Um, what is it? The human ear. Human ear. Human ear. <clears throat> um, is it 992 Psychosis? Uh, 448 psychosis yeah i'm sorry 448 psychosis you've done so much stuff and you know even when you're not i mean i don't know if your ears have been burning but we've been talking about anton's will and just the wonderful productions and we've had immediately after i saw the human ear i had to have um um crystal brown on because she had you know she did such an amazing performance we've been trying to get luel senores in but he's a bit shy he's very shy yeah he's a luel is fantastic luel is like wonderful he is so talented and so smart. But I just saw stuck. him do a reading and one of the scripts they threw at him, he played a 70-year-old woman. He can play anything. He <laughs> and he said, anything. wait a minute. So I just want to be clear. You want me to read this part, right? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and he was yeah. wonderful. And it's in a you know, small world. I met Luell, yeah, he because he was a stage manager for a long time for Central Works. Central Works, yeah. And uh, in 2012, I sort of took over, at least for one show, and Luell was showing me the board. This is before I even knew who he was and right. the acting and all. And he was transitioning from behind, getting behind stage to getting on yeah. stage. Yeah. But, but I mean, uh, and to getting back to Anton's well, you know, you've had a really great body of work that really shows what Anton's Well is all about. You know, a small cast, but really, really powerful, dramatic uh, pieces of work. There was one, I forget one show, Norman, you'll tell me about it, where there was just a lot of physicality. And there was- Um, was, um, Tender Napalm. I bet it was Tender Napalm, yeah. 
Dinner Napalm, or 448 Psychosis. Those yeah, are very 448 physical. Psychosis is probably the one I was thinking of, yeah. Was yeah. that the one with Kim Donovan? Was she in that one? Uh, Kim Don- oh, that was Dirty Butterfly. Yeah, 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 Dirty that Butterfly. Was physical, that exactly, was intense. Very intense. <laughs> not, yeah, not, think- not intense physicality, just intense. Yeah. Just intense so, emotional, like the audience kind of walked out on it. <laughs> oh, well, they, they should be able to take a little bit of that. Uh, but, no, um, that. That was a brutal show. I will. I saw that show. That was a brutal fucking show. Yeah. But then the next thing was that wonderful set of um, of short pieces that you did. Those were, they were sublime. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Carol Churchill. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice. That was fun. Yeah, Susan Evans loves Carol Churchill, and uh, I've been in, I think, two productions of Carol Churchill. But, um, but you know, I think the last—I don't know if you were able to do the Beckett plays. That was we last got him, year. We got him, We got two performances in, and then that's when we canceled. Oh, what a shame! Mm-hmm. Are you thinking of got- re uh, redoing it? No. If I did, I'd drop one of the plays. To be honest, but um, mm-hmm. we two of the plays turned out great, and one of the plays was just too much. Um, we kind of got too ambitious for what our company did, but um, the actors worked really hard. But um, but two of the plays, two of the plays may have been Barry premieres. It's kind of odd. Beckett's this big name, but a lot of his plays aren't done because for whatever reason. So it was it was really interesting being a church doing Beckett. It was this pristine church doing Beckett. We had a good run of finding odd but appropriate places for our plays, but um, but we. You know, the thing was, at least we got two production, we got two performances in, so the actors got to, you know, learn the roles, we got to explore, we got to do it. You know, it's unfortunate we couldn't complete it, but it was not a, you know, it wasn't a hard decision, actually. It was, it's the difference between a hard decision and painful. I mean, it was not hard, it was painful, but it wasn't hard because it was obvious at that point that, Yeah. I mean, I know we canceled on Tuesday and then other during that week, people were like, oh, no, we're gonna, by Friday, everyone had canceled but a handful. Because you just, the realization was that um, you could uh, contribute to an explosive spread of COVID. And back then, right. again, you know, when COVID first came out, it's been deadly enough as it is. But mm-hmm. back then, we didn't even know how deadly it'd be. We didn't know. I mean, I right. hate that. The thing that bugs me about the right wing, among other things, is after something happened then they like oh well we knew that and you're like no we didn't know that you know right you know like oh biden when he said it, the the epidemic was just of the unvaccinated well when he said that in july that was true right and it still basically is true it's right. just that omicron does you know go to the vaccinated somewhat but i hate this thing of like people afterwards saying oh well they said 3 million people would die. Yeah, well, 800,000 have died. You know, that's pretty right. lot. <clears throat> yeah. And if we hadn't done anything, pretty pretty obviously 3 million people would have died. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. If it and weren't so, for the individuals who, you know, actually obeyed. And like I said, yeah. it, is a, it is a civics test and it is a, uh, a, um, a psychological test, you know, because uh, yeah, we, well, we're, we're very privileged. Uh, you know, we have our toys. And, you know, when we're told <laughs> to take our toys, toys away, and, you know, to do things like, you know, like I'm an essential employee and, you know, we got an email saying, hey, listen, all of us need to be get that booster shot and you have a deadline. Of course, right. they don't tell us what the uh, the or else is. But, you know, we, we're compliant. I was like, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. I never understand people who would lie about that sort of stuff, especially when it's free. To go and- to the effort of lying or the expense of faking a card when you could just get the vaccine for free. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Compliance versus non-compliance, you know, and, 
you know, America's all about, well, I'm, you know, it's about freedom and me doing what I want to do. Um, but, you know, would you, would you kill someone? I mean, you know, you talk about you uh, yeah, taking but- your mother to yeah. uh, to and, and you know my mom is uh suffering from cancer and thank god i have my sister in maryland who's taking care of her right. i would feel bad if i in the name of freedom did not get the vaccine visited her and then she dies as a result right so right, right. Love to think about things like that well i remember back there were the spoke somebody when this whole thing was first starting and then all of a sudden we realized that it had gotten on the loose a person at the CDC said, oh, great. Now we're going to have 60 to 70 million infections and two to three million deaths. Right. And every she, That person, she got fired. So she's like, right. oh, that's alarmist. That's this, that's that. But when I heard that, I thought, okay, these people, the thing about COVID is like, this is not a surprise. This right. is not, I mean, and give him, we don't like Bush, fine. And he did terrible things, but actually he was totally fine on, he started a committee or, you know, a panel to say what happens if something like COVID happens. And right. of course, Obama being a smart person didn't say, oh, I'm going to reject that because Bush did it. Obama yeah. said, OK, that's great. Let's keep it going. Yeah. yeah. And then Trump defunded like, it. The weird thing to me is like the whole thing about this uh, COVID is that we actually had bipartisanship about this in the good sense of the word. Yeah. Until Trump came along. Right. It's yeah. like. If Bush had been president or Obama had been president, this would be a whole different reality because yeah. they both understood and they would have done the right thing from the very beginning. Yeah. And so right. it's only because we had this, you know, Trump in and he poisoned the well so badly that, you know, half the country won't do things. <laughs> right. It just is amazing to me. Like this is a, the one time that Bush and Obama were totally together. They had a good plan. It was all bipartisan. And it all got screwed up. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if Hillary had won or, you know, um, if those if the electoral votes had went the way that it should have gone. You're absolutely right. This would have happened because we did have H1N1 and the Zika virus. So Bush saw that. You know, I, I think that Bush was disruptive only to an extent as far as, you know, being partisan, but he recognized, right. hey, I've got to act on this. And you're absolutely right. And that was the yeah. thing that Trump defunded. There was a whole a panel, a, I forget what the panel was called, but there was a whole committee. I th- well, the maybe it was part response. of the CDC. Yeah, exactly yeah. for this. Exactly. So, but then the CDC person, I, she cracked up, she said, well, there'll be 60 to 70 million infections and two to three million dead. Well, they're, we're now at like 65 million infections. So they're totally right. Now right. we're not at two or three million dead because we've done these, you know, we're at 800,000, which is terrible. But, but of course, the two or three million would have happened if we didn't do anything. Right. That's the exactly thing, right. That always gets me like, well, there's not as many dead as they said there'd be. Yeah, because we've done all these things. I mean, right, because you we, know, the fire is not. The fire is not as bad as we thought it'd be because we put water on the fire. I'm right. You it's know, funny, the whole had, thing about we, freedom is like, you know, yeah, you don't have the freedom to drive on the, the uh, through a stop sign. You know, right. like these aren't yeah. like the thing that gets me is like these aren't that difficult to understand. Right. Well, yeah, for for some of us, yeah, I remember uh, we had Corinne Ritchie on, and she said, well. A president can't do that much damage in four years if for one term. And unfortunately, they, we can. I mean, you know, we, we now see just how much, you know, how we, you know, freedom isn't free. I mean, that's I think that's a famous quote by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, it takes civic responsibility 
to understand who we're voting for and what the damages can be if yeah. we don't, you know, pay attention. And Look, so we're, we're getting the lesson right now. Yeah. I had the a quick question for is, you. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean. The thing to me is, the, the thing I always get is like, if you told me like, we want you, Robert, to build a house, I'd be like, I don't think I can build a house, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know the architecture. I don't know plumbing. I don't know electricity. If you said to me, Robert, we want you to destroy a house, <laughs> I could get a sledgehammer and I could do a pretty good job yeah. on it. Yeah. Right. So the thing to me is like, I always feel like the people who want to destroy government, which there are in our country, yeah, it's an advantage. It's easier to tear something down than it is to build something up. Yeah. So Trump wants to tear something down. Of course, in four years, you can tear a lot of stuff down in four years. Right. It's a lot harder to build something up in four years. Yeah. Which is what Biden is trying to do. Especially you know? when, yeah, in one year, they're already telling you, you didn't get it done. It's like, it's been a year. Come on. Yeah. It's a we, lot that's gotten done. It's a lot. I mean, we would have had the COVID relief bill that was great, you know, that gave us things. And we wouldn't have gotten good, good judges. He's, Biden has gotten a lot of great, totally diverse judges approved, which would never have happened. If we went and won those right. two Senate seats in Georgia, that would have never happened. So right. yeah, good things have happened. But of course, because we have two senators who are half Democrats or whatever you want to call them, you know, anyway, we, that's not theater. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 that's okay. And, but, but that's- I can sort of tie it in because it's not just an attack. You know, when I hear about Republicans or, you know, those in the far right, Trump is really just the cherry on the this cake, this mob maudlin cake of extremism attacking liberalism as if liberalism. Yeah. And it actually ties into, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Eli Sonny Orkiza, who wrote the uh, the living document. And mm-hmm. he you know, he wants to he's he wants more diversity, really pushing theater companies to have a more diverse what uh, diverse cast diverse storytelling that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and there are those who are like well you know aren't you pushing this liberalism on the theater community you know you can't create theater by sort of legislating this sort of stuff i I wanted to get your take on it robert and when you think about anton's well and the plays that you do do you think about diversity do you think that first or do you think the play first does that does that come into your um your, your your realm of thinking I don't know well, if the living document changed how Anton Dwell is, is, does theater now. Um, so when Anton Dwell started in 2015, I thought I would just do plays that I loved, to be honest. you know. And I just wanted to do it because I wanted to pay actors a little bit more. And because I wanted to give myself an opportunity. I mean, I got into theater late. I wasn't theater trained. So I needed to create my own thing, I thought. And I really thought I'd do plays like David Mamet's American Buffalo. David Mamet now is you know, out of fashion to say the least. But mm-hmm. and, or I thought I'd do like um, House of Blue Leaves, which is a play I love, just to give you an idea. Right. But at that time, there was a big movement for women to have 50% of the plays done by 2020. Sure. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll read some plays by women. And I started reading plays by women and I and I found out there's kind of, and I love, I, I kind of love the Harold Pinter, Samuel Beckett tradition in theater. Right. I kind of relate to that. I kind of like plays that have, you know, really challenging theatrical language. But I found plays by women who, who, you know, who I really loved and were in a sort of tradition that I kind of wanted to explore. So that's how we did like 448 Psychosis. That's how we did The Human Ear. That's how we did um, uh, What Rhymes with America. 
And we and and I also got into a kick of like I really thought you know what I like doing plays that haven't been done here before. I feel like we're adding a little value to the Bay Area. And so then as I went forward, you know, people said to me like our first few plays were cast with all white actors, and just because they're my friends and because they would work with me, and because you know when I put out audition notice, I don't get a lot of people back right. then. You know, you know, you don't get too many people to show up, and so you, you know, there's certain people and you know them, and you. But our first two or three shows were all white. And so even the white actor said, hey, you know, you should try for diversity or you should, you know, reach out and try to reach more people and do things. And so I did that. And it's kind of simple. You, you know, you just start talking like you talk about Crystal Brown. It's like I saw her and I go, she's fantastic. And so she did one of our plays. And then I saw Luell and he's fantastic. And they, you know, they have me in the same play. And then Maya was in a play and um we had um jesse and we had micah and uh dirty butterfly mm -hmm. and so the diversity came sort of like just as hey this is another way to make our company relevant and to and to just enjoy being in the bay area to be honest yeah well it sounds and like so, you didn't have you didn't have to be pushed into doing it it sounds like you guys were on the on your way of doing it anyway well just it just is great i don't know how to explain it i mean it just they're just you know, you, you doesn't if you just kind of expand your look a little bit or just think about it, then you're like, this is great. And um, uh, we, we did one play, Dirty Butterfly was by the leading kind of unknown, this is kind of contradictory terms, but she's Debbie Tucker Green, this fantastic playwright, black woman in England. And a lot of her plays, to be honest, would have to be directed probably by Norman, a black person, you, Reg, or somebody, because they're very much like about a black family or something. I wouldn't feel like, I don't know, I just like, I wouldn't feel, I'd feel like this would be cool. Maybe Norman would direct it, maybe Reg would direct it, maybe someone else would direct, Crystal would direct it, whoever. Dirty Butterfly, it was kind of an interesting story because it flipped the usual dynamic. Usually in a story, the black person or black people are being hurt and the white person is trying to help the black person or not trying to help the black person. But, you know, in this play, it was the white person was getting hurt, was getting beaten, was abused. And the two black people were responding to the white person who was in distress. And so it was, it was, an, it, I felt fine directing it. And the actors felt fine. And we all talked about it, but the actors, the black actors kind of liked it in the way because it reversed the usual dynamic of, of what we see on stage and like norman said it was a brutal play i picked the play though but the reason i picked the play was to me the play was like a metaphor for my own it, when you walk down the street in the tenderloin you see someone shooting up heroin right right <clears throat> and you think i only saw this for the first time say about the time i did that play a couple of years ago and my first reaction was hey man don't do that that's not good you know that's that's uncool. You're hurting yourself. But of course, I didn't say that to the person because they're shooting up heroin. I mean, right. But the other part of me, and this is the part I don't like to acknowledge. And one problem I find in theater a lot now is I feel like it's hard for people to acknowledge that there's a dark side to our personality, to be honest. We all have to be so kind of mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah, the thing I don't sure. like about theater is I don't think you have to be a perfect person to do theater. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like you do have to be a perfect person to do theater. That's another <laughs> issue. But anyway, <laughs> just to finish this so my first reaction was hey don't do that man that's not good for you we should uh, let's get a social worker let's do something let's help this person but my other reaction was like man you're 
you're messing up my life. I don't want to see that. You know? <laughs> Honestly, you know, and so Dirty Butterfly, it was interesting because the two black characters, one of the black characters was completely obsessed by the white woman. And he was like listening to her through the, they were sitting in an apartment building. He's right. listening to her. He's, and he can't help himself. He's obsessed by this white woman. But the other black character is a black woman and she's had enough of it. She tried to help the white woman. It didn't work. And she's just right. like, you're, you're driving me crazy. You're fighting so much. I can't even sleep in my bedroom. Just right. get the hell out of my life, basically. Yeah. But I just thought it was a, the play was an interesting kind of tough metaphor about how our life is right now because we walk down the street and we see things where it's like part of us wants to help or part of us is obsessed by it. But part of us is like, God, just get out of here. I don't want to see like I don't want to see the homeless. I don't want to see this. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and which is very, very which is very, very honest. I mean, that's a very <laughs> honest depiction. I mean, I I wrote uh, when I wrote the uh, the musical Nia, you know, I had talked a little bit about, you know, what was happening in the Tenderloin and needles and all that sort of stuff. And um, I, I think about what I would call the Disneyfication of of storytelling. I mean, we see it sure. in television. Of course, we see it in the movies. And I get a feeling we see it a little bit in, in theaters as well, where we want to tell a proper story, you know. Um, right. I remember. Um, and then they lived happily ever after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember when I presented to Corinne, a foreman in Paris, she's like, wow, you know, you got a lot of, you got a lot of profanity in here. I don't know if we can cut some of that out. And I'm like, Okay, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I agree yeah. with you, Robert. I mean, I think we need to address reality. You know, sometimes yeah. we need to see the stain on, on our proverbial cloth to yeah. show, you know, just who we are, how human we are. And you're absolutely right. I mean, yes, we want to help. You know, if I, I can't give a dollar bill to every homeless person <laughs> that I right. go across. And, you know, sometimes I may need to, you know, um, push somebody off or, you know, tell somebody, hey, listen, you know, I know you're high on coke or something like that, but, you know, can you do it somewhere else or don't threaten me or whatever? Right. I mean, I, I when I watch a, uh, I think the, one of the most vulnerable people are women who have children or someone who has a child because they need everyone, the environment around them to be protective of the child. You know, I always see look on the face of the parent who's holding a child and they're always, they, their eyes are, they're in defensive mode. You know, it's like, right. don't get too close to my child or, you know, something like that. So those are the stories that we need to hear. I mean, I would I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, well, what I find interesting with the diversity side of it is you're telling this complex story. And now you add in this element of race, which is a big part of our culture. But if the script isn't talking about that what it forces the audience to do is to make sense of it for themselves. And I love that. It means I don't have to make sense of this. As an actor, I have to make sense of my character. What you think of a black man in my situation as an audience member is way different than what I think about a black man being in the situation I'm in. So when you put me in the situation that isn't designated as a, you know, a racial story, a racial theme, a racial whatever, but I'm that next door neighbor, it's, it colors it, it changes it into something else. And, and I think that's, you know, I think that's the reality. I think that reflects the world that we're in. I think it's juicy what it does to an audience. Each audience member is gonna have their own response to it. I think that that allows you to take the play to another level. I love that. Yeah, yeah. and I think even, mm -hmm. you know, to piggyback on what Norman is saying, when you have a, a black or let's say a minority actor, and it's not necessarily a minority role. Like, you know, this is a black character, so we need a black actor, but just a black actor in any role. 
not only do that 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 actor brings in their perspective, which of course colors it, but uh, you you really do get you know a sense. It even forces the director to rethink, or the director sort of thus takes the wheels off. It says, "Hey, you're going to drive this character to whatever." I'm like, I think about when you did uh, Death of a Salesman, Norman, and you know, yeah, and yeah. that character took on a different perspective because that character is black who has a right. white neighbor, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there no, you go. It, it makes a big difference, especially if you're talking about a time in America, in American history, even if the show doesn't directly reference that, it's the audience is going to get it subconsciously. You know, at the very least, they're going to get some sense of dynamic subconsciously. Yeah. And the audience has to say, wow, I never wow. thought that a black or let's say an Asian person or a Latino person would think that way or you know it, it really right. forces the audience to go in a different direction which is which oh, is perfect. It's so funny we came back to arthur miller <laughs> right right yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly i did have a question for the two of you so denzel washington i he's doing uh the movie uh macbeth i don't know if you guys yeah. have any thoughts about that i uh i just read I one review thing. and it didn't sound oh. too good although i'm i don't know <laughs> most reviews i've heard about have really raved about it so yeah i mean i don't you know to me, that's one of the ones where I feel like you guys might have different takes. But to me, it just seems like why wouldn't Denzel do it or so? I mean, right. it's a great classic part. I mean, sure. and you know, you get, I mean, somebody, oh, well, there weren't black people in Scotland or whatever dumb, stupid thing you want to say. But right. I don't know. To me, it just seems like he's a fantastic actor. He's got he's a commanding figure he seems like a warrior i mean mm -hmm. you know the only thing about macbeth is he's technically probably too old for the part but who cares right. you know right i mean the thing that gets me about macbeth is they always have these people in their 50s or 60s playing him, and like i'm sorry but the dude is like he's a warrior he can rip a person from seam to seam he's like an athlete who's like 35 years old but right just right you, yeah you're pushing it at that point yeah 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 it's, and it's a know, different it's story because... if it's the ambitious young guy versus the middle-aged, you know, guy wanting that last bit of glory. Those are valid yeah. stories, but it makes it a much different story. It makes it different. I don't, I don't know. know. Mara wants to see it, so we're going to see it. I'm, I am, I'm very particular about what Shakespeare I see. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, I I hear you, Norman. It's funny that you guys, uh, you know, the depiction of uh, uh, Macbeth as this young warrior type. I still remember the adaptation. I don't know if Robert, if you had remembered it, Macbird, where there was a young, oh. I think, female playwright in the 60s who took, and it was on the heels of the assassination of Kennedy, who took Macbeth and transformed him into Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh. And and yeah. basically, you know, parlayed that, you know, Macduff or Kennedunk Duncan was killed so that, you know, Macbeth can rise to power or, you know, Macbird. <laughs> Can, uh, yeah. rise to power so that was an interesting take on it and of course you know mcbird is a you know 60 year old man right yeah that's fine if you do adaptation i mean i don't mind it's just sometimes i look and people oh well othello we're gonna play othello as a young man and i'm like i mean okay i don't know right but it's like to me othello the whole point like i just bugged me when people say we're gonna do othello as a young man because that raises the stakes with the relationship with desdemona and i'm like to me, that lowers the stakes, but right. whatever. No, agreed. Agreed. You yeah, know? yeah, that would make you know, a lot like, of sense. Because if it's just a young man, it's like two hot young people get together. Big deal. I mean, yeah. 
but it was an older man who's like un unexpectedly like, wow, this older guy, this young white woman is interested in him. You know, those are pretty big stakes. And you're you're transgressing against the norm. That's pretty big stakes. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, but um, I totally agree. There's a recent production of uh, Porgy and Bess where they did it where Porgy wasn't crippled. And I'm like, mm. I'm sorry. That's a completely different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I still remember I was stage managing the Gorilla Shakespeare Company and we had Othello. As a matter of fact, we had Lauren Grace on who was Desdemona, uh, uh, beautiful Desdemona. And uh, and the relationship worked. The problem was they had a, we had a young I'm sorry we had an older Iago which makes sense, and yeah. then that actor was fired, and then they brought in a young he must have been just out of school, uh, a young Iago who's like 25 years old, mm -hmm. and guess who was Amelia? Guess who was his? Uh, I think is it Amelia? Yeah, his yeah. wife. Yeah, his wife. Yeah. Played by Linda Ayers Frederick. Oh, which doesn't like make any sense. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just yeah, yeah. The old ancient Yago is played by a young man, and then then Cassio's a young man. So right, <laughs> yeah, right. It 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 undercuts it undercuts the text. Yeah, I mean, the young man did the best he possibly could, but it was it was a rather strange um, uh, production. You know, things like that happen. We, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's twelve oh seven. I want to be respectful yeah. of people's time. Any last um, buttons or whatever? I mean, well, uh, just to to come back to where are we going and what's going to happen next with theater. One, we we don't have a clue. Doing great expectations to an audience completely masked was weird. We would have otherwise gotten all kinds of laughs that we just didn't. You'd hear the sort of titter, but it never yeah. really built. <clears throat> Um, in fact, we got, geez, a good third of the way into the show before we got a full audience laugh. Um, and that's because it was just such a big, surprising moment that they couldn't help but burst. Um, and so as we go back into the theater, that's what we're going to see. And that's what we have to see. Just to be safe, we're going to see these masked audiences. It's going to be this weird environment. My hope is we're going to see more things. Like, I'm not a Zoom fan for theater. But um, I will admit the other thing you asked about um, Jim Kleinman and Playground, the other thing that Playground is doing is they're streaming. They made a deal with SAG and they're streaming their shows. And that is the nature of what we're doing. I don't know how happy I am about it, but it is a way forward. My other hope is that, and it won't happen in the winter, but as we get to warmer times, that people will take their shows back outside. And that we'll get maybe another good season of shows in interesting spaces that are open and ventilated. And you can kind of relax and appreciate that thing that we all want to see, which is live performance. Yeah, there you go. So, Robert, I mean, when it comes to uh, Anton's Well, let's hope, I'm cross our fingers, that at the very least the fall, things will start to open up. Uh, do you have any upcoming uh, things or, or do you just really want to wait until you hear good news? Uh, about Omicron uh, and and the COVID variant, COVID. I'm just, I'm trying. Like you said, I'm, I'm finding like very interested in poetry, and I'm thinking of like creating our own shows for a little bit, perhaps, um, or creating anthologies of poetry um, mm. because it'd be really flexible on setting, on staging. It could be indoors, outdoors. You know, um, my only two cents about the future Bay Area is somehow, I just wish there was like room 
for people to make their own decisions about what they want to do. I don't know. Um, I feel like sometimes everything's getting to be like, oh, we have to do it this way or this has to be done. And I and also I kind of feel like like there's room there's room. I hope there's room in Bay Area for unnecessary plays. Um, <laughs> I feel like everyone's doing necessary plays or we're all trying to say how everything is. And what if you want to do an unnecessary play? I mean, when I look at the plays we've done, I can't say that they're particularly necessary. I think they're beautiful and wonderful, but I kind of am against this idea of like the necessary play, to be honest. I don't know what that means exactly, but so I just hope there's room in Bay Area theater for a lot of different voices and that we don't have to conform to what somehow seems to be we need to conform to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you can have the, you're, you're right, because there are different diverse audiences who uh, some want to hear a message play, some wants to just laugh. You know, um, I think about, um, I don't know what Piano Fight is doing these days, but, you know, Piano Fight is a place where, you know, pre-COVID-19, let's say you get off of work and, you know, you walk in and you, you know, there's a play next to a bar and, you know, and yeah. people just sort of have fun. And, you know, that that was a winning, winning formula. And um, so, yeah, w- I guess we'll we'll just see. I imagine yeah. people will just yeah, for the moment just write and they will plan plan and maybe fundraise and and other things just to get to keep their yeah. names there you know anton's well you know the website is still there i don't know if you guys have updated it since um not very much a little bit yeah yeah no but it'll be fun because it's kind of interesting just mentioning piano fight that they're coming to oakland and so it's good that space i think piano fight might uh be more amenable to booking their space or maybe making deals with theater companies for short runs and different things there mm-hmm. so i i think when i tried to talk to the people before i never really got very far because it just seemed like the, the you know i feel like piano fight could be like hey we just want to do a show on like a tuesday night or something and they'll be like okay maybe that'll work out i've never done anything with piano fight but i've talked to people there and it always felt like hey we can work something out so i'm kind of intrigued by like just doing short things maybe you know one-offs or couple of night uh-huh. things at piano fight and they're at the old flight deck right they're at the old flight deck and i think it'll be well, an interesting and they still space. have their space in the city right yeah they still have the space in the city um and i you know i hope they i'm looking forward to like dropping by the piano fight in oakland occasionally and um you know just seeing the piano fight is like a more improv more younger theater audience thing so for an old dude it's kind of fun to go there and be kind of out of place norman and i had a great night there one time uh, remember norman we was had a night where norman can- was in a show but unfortunately his show got canceled but yeah. they handed out free they handed out free drink tokens to us yeah that was incredible <laughs> yeah yeah and that'll be in flight decks that i mean that's only a couple of um that's that's maybe uh, that's walking distance for me so you know that's yeah and it's, it's right. a nice area you know downtown uh oakland yeah, 15th so. and broadway no it's it's, it's really great. cool Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, uh, good things for them. Well, I'm I, hoping that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm rooting for Anton's well, because, you know, you you really you take good time. You take good effort in, you know, putting on good productions. And I know the actors get a lot out of it. 
I'm, you know, in talking with Crystal Brown, I've had her on at least two or three times on the podcast, on this podcast, and also on Black on the Bay. Oh, nice. And, um, you know, such an engaging character, and she really enjoyed what she was doing when she did the human ear and, and, and Anton's well, you know, because you yes. guys really do a good job in uplifting uh, the actor. And of course, Kim Donovan sings your praises. So, you know, I'm well, really we're all, well. We don't, I always laugh because sometimes people say, well, you don't have any production values in your shows. And number one, like we've done shows in churches. We did Carol Churchill where it was supposed to be in a garden. We were in a garden. We were supposed mm-hmm. to be in a funeral hall. We were in a funeral hall. I mean, we had a million dollar production, dude. But, um, <laughs> but you know, but but it's true. Like we did Sam Shepard and we did it in an old finish hall. It was a breaking down hall. And the show is about, you know, Oedipus. It was about destruction. And when during one show, the roof was blowing off. I mean, <laughs> and the roof blew off at perfectly timed into the text, you know? I mean, Oedipus would say there's a threat in the air and part of the roof blew off. Right. There you go. <laughs> That's a great production design, you know? Wow. The funny part was audience members came audience members came to me after the show and said, God, it was so perfectly timed how you had those effects. And I'm like, Yeah, we, we really did a good job on that. <laughs> anyway, you know somebody must have gave God a cue. Said God, Q five, blow and blow the thing off. Yeah, Anton's well is all about the actor because it's all it's language and actor. Our company's the basically text, language yeah. and actor. So, you know, we hope to continue that. Very and true. And we both yeah, we've always sang, sang your praises. So, I mean, like I said, I, I'm hoping the best yeah. for Anton's well. Well, really, thank you. I want to just shout out to you two guys because, you know, inviting me on, I had a lot of incohate thoughts lately. And just thinking about the last 24 hours since being invited, you know, you really helped me focus on things. So thank you very much for... Yay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, this yeah, is no, what there it's is, about. There's a, big, there's a big yay that the yay is that you focus me in all these various thoughts and um, I actually do feel gay about the future because, you know, there's people like you out there and we'll, we'll make things happen. Absolutely. That's what the gay is all about. And we want to thank you and, you know, you sponsor us. I mean, you know, you bought the shirt and. <laughs> oh, I love my shirt, man. <laughs> the I Jersey, I should say the Jersey. Yeah, exactly. So, you yeah. know, this is what theater is all about. We, you know, we got to help each other out. And I would hate to see yet another company fold or move somewhere else because yeah. of other little things. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, Anton's well should definitely keep going on. Um, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Uh, today is uh, Danielle Levin's birthday. Um, wonderful actress who I met a long time ago doing um, Cymbeline. You know, one of the strange... Um, Shakespeare plays that almost never get seen. Um, she played Imogen, the um, the lead. I played the villain. <laughs> I, I I think I'm much happier now playing villains than I was then. That was that show kind of that was yeah. that was a stretch for me. Um, Barry Graves' birthday is coming up this week. Yay! Uh, and he was our uh, Richard Wright when we did uh, Four Men in Paris. Uh, Taylor Valentine is. Somebody that I worked with when I was just starting out in Bay Area Theater, and I believe he's directing in New York now, so that's kind of neat. I will leave this one for you. I will leave that one for you. Catherine Castellanos, birthday is coming up this week. Um, Wonderful Bay Area actress who ends up everywhere. I mean, good God, New York, Ashland, just seems like she's always working. Yay. And and deservedly. Uh, She's going to play Bethu. What's that? She was just announced as Fefu for Fefu and her friends at ACT coming up in a little bit. Sweet. Yeah. 
Um, Joy Mead uh, was somebody I met when she was, I believe, at Cal Shakes. And yeah, then she went away. And now she's back and she's working at ACT. Um, and uh, the last one I have is Holly Maddox, a Bay Area actress, who I feel like I bump into these days, but um, you know, just sort of as audience, not we we haven't worked together in forever. Anyway, short list of birthdays this week. All and right, I've got my list. <clears throat> uh, you took Barry Grace from me. I can't believe he's 43 years old. He just, I don't know, he just seems younger. He has, he, you know, he has a young spirit. Oh man, Barry. <laughs> Um, yesterday was Angel Duncan's birthday. Uh, she is the, I'm sure you remember her on Norman. We had her on and she co- proclaimed herself the, um, the sunflower, the little <laughs> sunflower. She actually, um, she was a Cinderella, a black Cinderella, uh, for, I forget, I think African American Shakespeare company. Yeah. Probably. The African American Shakespeare company. So, and that was fantastic. I felt so good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, on the 16th tomorrow, a good friend of mine who graduated with me from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Precious Porter, Priscilla Precious Porter. And speaking about Macbeth, um, she did the uh, I remember she did a monologue out damn spot out, I say, yeah. uh, Lady Macbeth. And I still remember her. We were just high school kids doing that. Uh, any case, her birthday is on the 16th. And I believe she's teaching at Duke Ellington School of the Arts. So that's oh, awesome. Sweet. Uh, also, another graduate from Duke Ellington. She graduated, I think, two years above us. Monica Baker Pena. I have no idea if she's still acting, but she was fantastic. Her birthday is the seventeenth. Also on the seventeenth, I think you saved this for me. Lamont Rigel. Yep. That was <laughs> fantastic. One I uh, Bay Area actor. I remember him. He. Um, I'd work with him first uh, doing. Um, it was uh, off Broadway West's Master Harold and the Boys. And he was uh, the lead actor in that and did a magnificent job. He's also worked with, um, uh, is it Central Works? I'm sure he's worked with Central Works, but he's also worked with um, Bendelstiff. I think Alan Kismorio uh, directed him at one point and also um, Town Hall Theater. In any case, Lamont's been around and his birthday is on the 17th. Also on the 17th, I love telling the story, Noel Katz. So. I uh, so when I graduated from Duke Ellington, I automatically worked for this uh, theater company called Third Step Theater Company, and we were doing um, just a bunch of new young new musicals by young musical writers. And one guy was Noel Katz, and this was back in 1992. Flash forward to 2018, 2017. Mm -hmm. I'm doing Nia. I'm at the uh, the um, play uh, the um, musical cafe. Yeah, musical cafe, but we we did it at the piano fight. It was a oh, piano right. fight, okay. and one of the audience members taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, "Hey, I don't know if you you don't know me, but I'm a friend of Noel Katz." And he says, "Congratulations!" And wow. I'm like, "My God, I have not seen him in 30 years. How in the world did he even know?" And this is this is in New York. How do right. you even know about this? So I have no idea how it happened, but the universe works <laughs> that way. <laughs> That's wild. So, uh, yeah, his birthday is on the 17th. Magnificent musical writer Uh, on the 18th. Denmo Ibrahim. We've had her on a magnificent playwright of a Middle Eastern descent. Yeah. I don't know if you remember her being on, but uh, she. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've I've been waiting to. Denmo has been a name that's been circling in my universe, I think, since she got here. So I was happy to finally be able to. Yeah, there are certain people who, you know, it's almost like a steak in the griddle. You know, you put the steak on the thing and they just sizzle. And she's she's one of those. Immediately when she came in, she's been 
everyone's been talking about her and I work with her doing the Breck project. She wrote a wonderful piece, um, an adaptation of the Jewish wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so Denmo, her birthday is on the 18th. And the last one, I'm sorry, I actually have two. Do I have two? No, I have three. I have a couple more. Yeah. Usually you have more than me. I <laughs> know. Case, I'm, uh, I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, on the 18th as well, Jennifer Medeiros. Uh, she and I acted in um, Candide, the uh, little little mini uh, operetta. Uh, she had a magnificent voice. She was actually battling cancer at the time. She's a cancer survivor. And uh, so she's, she's magnificent, and her birthday is on the 18th. On the 19th, Jackie Castileo. Uh, she's a Philippine actress. She acted in my play, Ang Espia, uh, an adaptation of uh, Bertrand Brecht's um, The Spy. And we did that. That was one of the first uh, Zoom things that we did for um, Bindlestiff Studios. And that was great to work with her again. Um, another Ellingtonite that graduated um, a year after me, Cheryl Elan. She's in um, L.A. and she's doing magnificent things, uh, a model and an actress. Her birthday's on the 20th. And the last one that I have is Dup Croissant. He is a magnificent musician. He's a drummer and also a... Uh, a um, a musical writer. I think he's been working with uh, Plethos, and I worked with him. We did uh, one ten. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown mm-hmm. at the Town Hall Theater, and he is a magnificent um, musical musician. And his birthday's on the 21st. Those are my lists of birthdays. Um, shows. Shows. Um, Kim. Um, Kim. Uh, Kimberly Ridgeway is directing <clears throat> the. Yeah, keep um, moving forward. Dragon Eggs, playground. Dragon Eggs, Dragon Production Theater Company. Um, oh, yeah, and she is directing one for Playground. You're right. Um, so that's coming up. And uh, Playground is uh, not this Monday. It's normally the third Monday of the month. I don't know why, but they flipped it this time. So it'll be the, it'll be on the 24th. Monday, and uh, the third uh, Monday will be New York Playground. Uh, but anyway, Kimberly is is directing a really cool piece. I, I can't wait to see what she does with it. Um, what else did I have? I had. I've got about oh, I've got oh, two. Go for it. Two? Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, what you're talking about, keep moving forward. That's uh, the theme for Monday Night Playground. That'll be on the 24th. And Yumi Kabori also has a, a piece written in it. The play that Christian, I'm sorry, Kimberly Ridgeway will be directing is written by Christian Wilburn, yeah. who was also, um, <clears throat> that's episode 198. We interviewed him on the A. Also, I believe The Hollow is still going on. The Hollow, City Lights Theater, uh, oh. and Yumi Kabori, she's been on a roll. She wrote a piece. I'm, no, I'm sorry. She's in the show. She's in January the 20th to February the 20th, if it has not been canceled. Right. Um, and also um, Broadway on Demand. This is something that's being streamed. Alan Coyne is in that. Oh, right. That's a play called Constellations. Yep. And that'll be streaming uh, the 16th. That's tomorrow. And also the 23rd. And there's a link where you can buy a virtual ticket to watch to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of podcasts that I want to pump out. Uh, Barry Graves, he, we just talked about his birthday. He has a podcast, The Black Man's Heart. So you can check that out. Also, our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara, uh, has a podcast, CBS, uh, called Connect the Dots. And they have a, uh, they, she just posted a, um, I don't know if she posted it on Facebook, 
but basically they're doing a uh, they're doing a um, an exclusive on COVID nineteen and how it's affecting school children. So check that out. Connect the dots. That's KCBS Radio. Also, mm. Bendelstiff Studio has the Fobcast, and that's going on. Uh, mm. And I don't know if in the very beginning of our show did I uh, pump. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, to Central Works, basically sponsoring us. Uh, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Dan's Leifler. Central Works reinventing theater one play at a time. I don't know if I did our that. Logo, very but in any case i'll do it again uh go ahead norman did you have anything else um i don't know i had 12th night but yeah i I mean i've just read about 12th night canceling we could almost do the whole list of shows that have canceled like um othello yeah um, uh, yeah poor uh, letitia duarte she was going to be uh desdemona in that yeah so you know no i i don't (laughs) um uh i'll pump that uh the james baldwin Preview, James Baldwin Centennial Preview will be happening, but that's February 19th. Yep, and we'll have time to to pump that. And also, uh, we've been pumping uh, the jerseys, and Robert bought one, so we want to thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, we st- I still have jerseys around. We have white, we have pinstripe, we have black. Um, since $30, so uh, just send me a private message uh, via Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, just let me know and I will hook you up. That's it. Uh, Robert, did uh, Robert, you enjoy any, yourself? Any shout outs you got? My mom's going to turn 90 years old in January. So she's Woo-hoo! pretty wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I love my jersey. I might get a different colored jersey, you know, have a little, little variety little change of color in my jersey. But again, thank you guys. It really is helpful to talk to people and uh, it's been fun. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. And that was at the last minute because I was about to say, I don't know, man, I, you know, I know. We're no one's showing it. up. And I'm not a Zoom person myself. You know, I, I had thought that we were going to, you know, continue to do things live. But obviously, people are very concerned about COVID-19 yeah. and being infected and also just well, the commute. Yeah. If you're going to well, be I around people to, uh, who you know are susceptible, I mean, um, in those, you know, in those groups, yeah, you know, all the different you know ways that somebody might be more in, in danger than we are. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's not a problem at all doing it. And also it brings us back to doing things on YouTube because we've been sort of uh, uh, not neglecting that. So in any case, we are on YouTube. You're probably watching us now. Please like and subscribe. Click on that uh, the bell for new updates. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And uh, we will you know, proceed in, in kind. If you're listening to us on the traditional audio uh, app, then we're on all uh, audio apps that you listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on the uh, purple Apple podcast app. And if you're an Android user, you can you go on to the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're on the Yay 3. That's our official Twitter feed. We're also on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. And Robert, are you uh, on social media? Well, people should check out Antonswell.com. I think it's org or we're, we're on Facebook. We have a little Facebook page. Yeah. 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 There's a Facebook page as well. Yeah, we're and on Instagram I, too. We have an Instagram page too. Yeah. Nice. Antonswell.org. And we'll have a link to that as well. And um, that is it. Thank you so much. I'm going to get some lunch and also check out the wild card. <laughs> I'm an wild NFL card? fan. So, you oh, know. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the Niners are playing the Cowboys in the playoffs again. It's like the 90s. 
It's old time. I remember back when I had my Philly and, you know, (laughs) rooting for uh, Steve Young and all those guys. So in any case, Uh go Niners. Thank you so much. Uh, Happy, wonderful uh, MLK Day. Go out and, uh, you know, do some uh, public service. And yes, my anniversary is tomorrow. And your anniversary, five year anniversary for you and Mara. Six. 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 Right on. Let me not undercut you guys. Hopefully you and got you two will have a wonderful uh, anniversary. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find, find a, a better, better sign off. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>